same principle. But what is it? Paul, I'm with you. That's the message. Be of good cheer. I'm with you. You have nothing to fear. And the difference between operating in the cheer and the joy of the Lord and operating in fear and doubt is the presence of God. Amen. That's the difference. That's the difference with any of us at any time. If I'm caught up in the good cheer and the celebrating of the presence of God in my life, it's going to be evident. I'm going to shine and not whine. But if I'm over here in terror and fear because of the elements, I mean, legit, they was, on a, they was in a storm. The winds were howling. Uh, the waves were banging against them. They couldn't control the storm. They couldn't stop it. They didn't know what was going on. But all that was the work of the Lord to put them in that situation to recognize that, hey, you could overcome the natural when the presence of God is in your life. Because what did he invite Peter to do? Step out and come to me. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on the Lord, he was able to walk and overcome the natural elements that he was surrounded in. But as soon as he took his eyes off of him and looked on the natural, what happened? He began to sink in it. And it's the same thing with us. We sink into the circumstance when we're looking at the circumstance. But we overcome the circumstances when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and what he's given us to walk in. And we see that in Paul's life. He wasn't in the best circumstances of the world. But what do we find? We find him overcoming them, right? We find him overcoming them. And that's the same, same principles for you and I today. So what do we want to do? Celebrate what can be. How do you do that? Don't wallow in what ain't, but relish what is. And he was, God had spoken to him. What more do you need? Amen. What more do you need? What more do I need? Be of good cheer, Paul. As you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you shall also bear witness in Rome. Hey, it didn't go well in Jerusalem, did it? But Paul was faithful. That's the key, right? When you look at Jerusalem, does it look successful? To humans, no. No. But was he obedient? Yes. That's right. You see, God pours out into us his spirit his truth and us trusting and obeying him is us pouring out what he poured in. And that's just what we do from day to day. What God poured in him, he poured out. Whether anybody responded to it or not, or they drag him off and try to try to kill him, the man poured out what God put in him. And as a result, God says, you're going to do the same thing for me in Rome. What I put in you, you're going to pour it out. What I put in you, you'll pour it out. You'll give it away. That's the same, That's the idea. What God gives you, he gives it so you can give it away. The truth God gives us, it's so that we can edify the brethren. The gifts that God gives us is so we can build up the brethren. If you've been gifted in an area of life to do things that other people can't do, he's gifted you so you can bless people with that gift. Not everybody can do what you do. Not everybody can see what you can see. If God's given us a, a keen mind to wrap our mind around these things with clear wisdom and understanding so that we can teach the brethren. 
And if God's given us a physical ability to do something that somebody else can't do, I operate in that. That's a gift from the Lord. That's God pouring in us so we can pour it out on other people. He that waters shall be watered himself. Who I pour water into, they'll pour water on the brethren. And I promise you, he says, I'll keep you well watered. Whatever, whatever he pours in. Amen. Glory be. Always a something. Praise the Lord. Amen. We can praise him through it, can't we? Man, we get to abide under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. I was telling Stephanie earlier, over just talking about stuff, I mentioned we can't wallow in what ain't. We need to relish what is. You with me? We can't we can't wallow in what ain't, but relish what is. I, I just thought about it, you know. Don't wallow in what ain't, relish what is, that you can celebrate what can be. That you can celebrate what can be. It's just something I got to remind myself of. You know, if you just wallow in what ain't, it's going to mess you up in what is. And we want to walk in uh, what we got. Amen. That was what you mentioned Sunday morning in Sunday school. Are you whining or shining? Whining or shining. Yeah. yeah. What we got? 23. 23. Chapter 23. Yeah. Miss Pat? Every time I read this, I wonder about it. And I may have even asked about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 23. One through five, I guess. Right, right. Where it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Right. I thought he would know that. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, matter of fact, I've looked over it again today myself and on that same that same thought process. But remember, Paul had been on mission and gone for quite some time. And as he went away, when he came back, soon as he comes back, the brethren receive him. They receive him gladly, he and Barnabas. And then they ask if he will go in and meet with the assembly, uh, the church. And the church had heard, been misinformed on things that Paul had been teaching. And he had a bad rep among them and what they was wanting him to do and this is all in chapter 21 what they were wanting him to do was reassure the brethren that he was not a disorderly man because it had been reported that he told them all to totally abandon Moses and that he he didn't live an orderly life from that perspective and this was an issue with the Jews that they, they had a very difficult time dealing with. Now, something you want to keep in mind, things have shifted and changed. Remember initially when Stephen was persecuted and killed. That is when God, the power of that persecution, God used that to get his people out. He done told them to go. And they have stayed congregating there in Jerusalem. And all the disciples left except the apostles. They were the only ones left in Jerusalem, the apostles. But over a period of time, these apostles had all started funneling out and going on mission. And when Paul eventually, years later, 
comes back to Jerusalem, the only apostle that is brought to light that is in Jerusalem is James. And he's got a board of elders with him. And then you have the assembly of the congregation, which he said there was myriads of them who had turned to faith in Christ. But they all are, James was one of the main culprits of this issue about the law. About the law. But the rest of the, the apostles are not there. They have either been martyred already in some cases, but they're gone. Like Peter is gone. Uh, the others, Philip is gone. Matthew is gone. None of them are there. They're out. Now, instead of having the apostles in leadership in Jerusalem, you have new people who have come in that are not in the role of the apostle who have this board of uh, elders or, or pastors over smaller flocks and they get word that Paul is not acting right and they want to hear on it and that they have already said the Gentiles need to stay away from immorality. They need to stay from eating flesh with blood and things strangled, which is a great point when you think about that. Uh, when it comes to not not to get off, but just something to think about, is that what did what was God's command to Noah uh, after the flood? He told Noah that he could eat all things; nothing was forbidden from him, except he couldn't eat things with blood in it, flesh, meat. All that was available to him, but he still needed to cook it. He didn't need to eat anything; nothing with blood in it. Then you come to the law. I think it's Leviticus 17, which is a whole list of things they can and cannot eat. And one of those things, they were not to eat flesh with the blood in it. That is, everything needs to be cooked. And then we have this issue in Acts 15 and again in 21, where they said that the Gentiles just need to stay away from idolatry. They need to stay away from blood, eating blood, and they need to stay away from immorality. So prior to the law, in the law, and in the dispensation of grace, the conclusion was don't eat flesh with blood in it. What's significant about that is this, is that Jesus said that his flesh was to be eaten and his blood was to be drunk which is another, just another way that God has forbidden all other creatures, all other things to be eaten in its flesh because he had one person and one way of salvation alone for whom Jesus said, I'm the bread of life and that he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall live forever. Just another picture of the good news of salvation in one, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just another neat picture. But the Jews had trouble with all this. So that's when Paul, and they said Paul told them that they don't need to be circumcised. Paul said you don't need to be circumcised. Circumcision won't gain you anything with the Lord because you're, you're following a works of the flesh. You've got to have God cut your heart, circumcise your heart. Well, remember, he brought Timothy and had Timothy circumcised. But why did he do it? Timothy's heart was already converted, changed. He did it because Timothy 
was partly Jew. And the Jews wouldn't accept Timothy and wherever they went if Timothy wasn't circumcised. But Paul knew circumcision, whether you had it or you didn't have it, gained nothing with God. But you see, it puts you in a position where men would listen to you. And Paul said, I do all things that all people, for the chance to reach an all people unto Jesus. So he didn't do anything for sacrificially or ceremonially or to gain anything, but you see the Jews still had an issue with the law. They wanted Jesus and practiced the law. And that's why they was trying to win Paul over to get Paul to do something, and Paul does. There's a sense of compromise there in Paul because what did he do? He took those men, he had their heads shaved, and he went into the temple and it was while he was in the temple, somebody saw him and said, this is him. And what did they do with Paul? They drug him out, drug him out and arrested him. And then this is where he is here. So how much time did Paul have in Jerusalem? And did he know in detail of who was all in authority and who was the high priest? Because remember, Paul didn't go in that temple to worship God from that perspective. He was doing what he was doing to show favor to the people so he could have influence upon the people. And so there's a great chance he didn't know uh, exactly who he was talking to. And I've I got a few notes in here. Why did he have him slap? Because either Paul and his life and lifestyle or God's ways, uh, they were saying he was a blood-faced liar. If his lifestyle is right, Ananias is wrong. And if he agrees with Paul, he condemns himself. So that's why he had, had him slap. And then Paul then understanding, remember, Paul didn't abandon what the Old Testament taught. What did he say? He quotes it, right? Where does that come from? Where does he say that? You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Comes out of Exodus. Exodus 22. 22. Verse number 28. That's where that comes from. And that was just a general practice that any of us were to operate in. Remember Paul teaches the church uh, when he wrote to Titus. Remind them to speak evil of no man. What did he tell Timothy and when he wrote to him? And he says, look, remind them to pray for those in leadership, even the ungodly, right? Isn't that what he said? Pray for those in authority, kings and rulers and all those. Why did he, why did he, go look at Timothy. Go look at 1 Timothy 2. Let, let's see what he says there. But yes, that is a great question. When we think about it, you would think that he would have known, but it shows you his, his disconnect from the normal process of Judaism because Paul sold out for Jesus. I mean, he's traveling and going. His aim is to win people. And that's why Paul did what he did. He wanted to win these men. First Timothy chapter number two. Look what he says in verse number one. Therefore, I exert you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? All men. So you can say the righteous and the unrighteous. 
That's the idea of all men. You're going to have righteous rulers and unrighteous rulers. You're going to have righteous workers and unrighteous workers. You don't distinguish how you or who you pray for. You may distinguish how you pray for them. That's why he lists that. What? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for what? All men. So when I'm praying for a lost man, I pray different for a lost man than I would pray for a brother. Amen. Okay, but you still pray, right? Yeah. You still pray. And what was the purpose? He says we're to pray for kings and all who are in authority, which would include the priest, the high priest. He was a man of authority. Uh, people listened to him. People followed him. He made decisions that would affect people's lifestyles and ways. So you would want to pray for him like you would a president or a, a senator or a congressman, people who have the ability to affect change in a society. So he says, for kings and who are in authority, that we people may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So that was the ultimate aim. That God has an assignment for us to walk in. And it would be best if the, if the atmosphere of the society was calm and peaceful in our work. We've got to do the work whether it is or not. But it would be best if it was peaceable and quiet in our work so that we could accomplish what we've been given to accomplish. And that's one of the reasons why we pray for that. And then... He says in verse number three, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. I remember when mm -hmm. we used the scripture. Yes, ma'am. Tell me that, you know, we need to pray. That That's right. We'll be able to fulfill the, the, the work we need to do. And our land as a whole won't be in, in chaos. And that's why we pray for leaders to still make decisions that are just and right, even if they're not just and right. There's still laws that keep men restrained. And you, we see it in our society, those laws steadily being loosened. And as they are, what do we see? We see more trouble. We see more violence. We see a lot of things happening, like in some of the cities, laws when it comes to juveniles of how old they are when they get prosecuted as an adult for doing crimes that adults do, and now juveniles can get away with with just a slap on the wrist of a major crime, and there's no consequences because they're raising it up, and they seeing crime shoot out the roof. And when they do use people, they take and put the, the gun in the juvenile's hand so that if somebody gets caught, it's them because they won't get in trouble for it. Yeah. Right. And that's because people in legislation, lawmakers are writing laws that are only harming people instead of helping people. That's why we pray for the righteous and the unrighteous in that. So he goes on, what is the ultimate, what does God want? Verse four, God desires that what? All kinds, all types, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is just one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all 
to be testified in due time for which Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So you can see why when Paul realized that who he was talking to was a ruler, he recognized that, that God had a way for him to operate in that. He did it ignorantly and then confessed that I, I, I shouldn't have said what I said. I didn't know, though, who he was. When you pull that together and you understand the rest of the scripture, look over in Titus, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, look in verse number 1. Remind them to be subject to righteous rulers. Does it say that? No. What does it say? And authorities, powers to obey and be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Why? We ourselves were once, what? Foolish. We were foolish. We ourselves were once disobedient. We ourselves were deceived. We ourselves served ourselves through various lusts and envies, living with malice, making life about ourselves and envy and hateful and being hateful to one another. We all lived that way at one time. Even the best of the best live a self-centered life. But, verse 4, when the kindness and the love of God of our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he did what? Man, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, for whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, his grace alone, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Boy, that's some good words right there, amen? So we can see why he did what he did, Miss Pat. Um, in, in how he used that language, and then what did Paul immediately do? He recognized that things have gotten tense and he recognized the rest of the crowd there that you had Sadducees in the crowd with them, these other people who were higher in ranking but didn't believe in the resurrection. So Paul immediately throw that out, Brother Shannon. You know what it did? Got attention off of him and they started battling between them over the resurrection. And that's how we get to uh, where we are even up into chapter 24. And then one of the greatest of, of hopes that we see, uh, does that help any? The, one of the, the greatest truths that we see is chapter number uh, 23 in verse number 11. This is after that, one of my favorite pictures that we see in the scriptures, just a good another reminder Remember, we keep seeing when Jesus shows up, uh, when he showed up to Peter and them on the boat, what did he tell them? Be a good cheer. Yeah. Be not afraid. It is I. And here we have it here. Verse 11, but the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, be of good cheer, Paul, 
For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Man. Amen. Now, it ain't going to be the last time God comes to him in a, in a bad time and remind him that God was with him and where he was taking him. So Paul had a, had a Roman expense-paid journey to Rome. Gonna cost some, that's right. We we see that. But look at the people it brought him before. All providential in what God was doing. But I remember remember when Jesus came out on that he sent the boys out, the guys out, the disciples out, and the storm came, and they saw him walking on the water, they didn't know what it was, thought it was a ghost. And when he came to him, what did he say? Be a good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And I've shared with that with y'all before. That's just an eternal principle, just like we see here, just like he came to him in chapter 18 when he told him, uh, do not fear, open your mouth and speak. I got many people in this city. Same principle. But what is it? Paul, I'm with you. That's the message. Be of good cheer. I'm with you. You have nothing to fear. And the difference between operating in the cheer and the joy of the Lord and operating in fear and doubt is the presence of God. Amen. That's the difference. That's the difference with any of us at any time. If I'm caught up in the good cheer and the celebrating of the presence of God in my life, it's going to be evident. I'm going to shine and not whine. But if I'm over here in terror and fear because of the Elements, I mean, legit, they was, on a, they was in a storm. The winds were howling. Uh, the waves were banging against them. They couldn't control the storm. They couldn't stop it. They didn't know what was going on. But all that was the work of the Lord to put them in that situation to recognize that, hey, you could overcome the natural when the presence of God is in your life. Because what did he invite Peter to do? Step out and come to me. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on the Lord, he was able to walk and overcome the natural elements that he was surrounded in. But as soon as he took his eyes off of him and he looked, it on the nat- he looked on the natural, what happened? He began to sink in it. And it's the same thing with us. We sink into the circumstance when we're looking at the circumstance. But we overcome the circumstances when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and what he's given us to walk in. And we see that in Paul's life. He wasn't in the best circumstances of the world, but what do we find? We find him overcoming them, right? We find him overcoming them. And that's the same same principles for you and I today. So what do we want to do? We want to celebrate what can be. How do you do that? Don't wallow in what ain't, but relish what is. And he was... God had spoken to him. What more do you need? Amen. What more do you need? What more do I need? Yeah, Brother Shannon, you was going to say something. We hit it in what chapter? Verse 11. Yeah. Be of good cheer, Paul. As you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you shall also bear witness in Rome. Hey, it didn't go well in Jerusalem, did it? But Paul was faithful. That's the key, right? When you look at Jerusalem, does it look successful? 
No. no. But was he obedient? Yeah. That's right. You see, God pours out into us his spirit, his truth, and us trusting and obeying him is us pouring out what he poured in. And that's just what we do from day to day. What God poured in him, he poured out. Whether anybody responded to it or not, or they drag him off and try to try to kill him, the man poured out what God put in him. And as a result, God says, you're going to do the same thing for me in Rome. What I put in you, you're going to pour it out. What I put in you, you'll pour it out. You'll give it away. That's the, same, that's the idea. What God gives you, he gives it so you can give it away. The truth God gives us, it's so that we can edify the brethren. The gifts that God gives us is so we can build up the brethren. If you've been gifted in an area of life to do things that other people can't do, he's gifted you so you can bless people with that gift. Not everybody can do what you do. Not everybody can see what you can see. If God's given us a, a keen mind to wrap our mind around these things with clear wisdom and understanding so that we can teach the brethren. And if God's given us a physical ability to do something that somebody else can't do, I operate in that. And that's a gift from the Lord. And that, that's, that's God pouring in us so we can pour it out on other people. Amen. Amen. And that what he say? He that waters shall be watered himself. Who I pour water into, they'll pour water on the brethren. And I promise you, he says, I'll keep you well watered, whatever, whatever he pours in. Amen. So all of it is, is you, you see in chapter 24, and we, we're going to wrap it up and go. But with this guy, Felix, Mr. Happy, we see what God's doing with him. Oh, Felix thought he was going to get a little bit out of Paul. He thought he was going to be able to pocket a little pocket change on him. And, um, when he came to him, because he had a little better understanding of things, verse 25, we see that Paul, what? Reasoned with him. This is in 24, 25. Now, as Paul reasoned, and that word reason is used throughout the scriptures, but in a dominant way in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, if I'm not mistaken, it is all associated with Paul when it's used. And it means to dialogue. It means to, sometimes it's translated preach. Sometimes it's translated reason. It's saying that he had a dialogue, a thorough dialogue, and communicated and talked. Why? That's why I keep saying that we see this in the book of Acts. They what? Open their mouth. They open the word, and they open their lives. And that's what he's doing here. He reasoned about righteousness. And when you talk about righteous, you, righteousness, you got to talk about there is none righteous. When you talk about righteousness, you got to talk about that Jesus said it's blessed when a man hungers and thirsts for righteousness. When you talk about righteousness, the only one that is righteous and can give and deposit righteousness in people's life is God through Jesus himself. So he's talking to Felix. He's talking to him from the perspective of, Felix, you're not righteous. But we know the righteous one. And I know how you can be righteous. I know who can make you righteous. I know you're not righteous because you don't seek and hunger 
after righteousness. And all the usage of that idea of righteousness, it's so, so many times it's used in the scriptures. We know that the only reason a blessed man would seek after righteousness is because he has been blessed from heaven. He has been gifted from there because there is none righteous. Amen. Amen. No, not one. None seeketh after God. None whatsoever. So uh, you got to think when he reasoned with him because it means a dialogue and it means a thorough dialogue. Paul covered it all of how this man could be righteous. And then he dealt with temperance or self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit, a fruit of the spirits. I want to use Four times in the scriptures, this word uh, self-control or temperance, and it means to be have a good grip on a thing, to have a good grip on. And one thing that Felix didn't have a good grip on, he didn't have a good grip on Jesus. He didn't have a grip on righteousness. That would be evident if the Spirit of God was living in him. Amen. So then what did Paul do next? Then he talked about the judgment to come. That the world's been judged, even the ruler of this age, that everything's under condemnation that ain't in the light, that don't have righteousness and don't have self-control, a good grip on this righteousness. And Felix, the only thing you can anticipate if you don't trust Jesus is that a sure judgment's coming your way. So, I mean, he covers. You've got to cover the gospel when you cover in righteousness and temperance and the judgment that is soon to come. It's the same thing that the Holy Spirit witnesses to. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 16, 16, 8, that when the Spirit comes, the first thing he's going to do is convince men of their unbelief. What is their unbelief? That they haven't trusted in the Lord. Then he's going to convince them of righteousness. Why? Because the Son of God has ascended on high. That's where righteousness comes from, from him. And then he's going to convince them of judgment because even the ruler of this age has already been judged. So the spirit, as he leads Paul, Paul is doing what the spirit is leading him to do based on the word that he has and he's giving him Jesus. He's showing that he doesn't have Jesus. And without Jesus, he's got a sure judgment that's coming his way because he's already under condemnation. And that that's, that's the message of the gospel, amen? Isn't that what the spirit does that's what the spirit teaches and the scripture says what did felix do he put it off he, it off. he said let let i'll come back at a more convenient time convenient time y'all might have some notes i've shared a few of these things with y'all in the past felix made a dreadful mistake of putting off that crisis of conviction because he had a crisis of conviction when you preach in the truth and that truth is surrounded by Jesus and the evidence that you don't know Jesus and everybody is in condemnation that doesn't know him. What he assumed was that conviction would continue. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. You got to act on it when you, when you are convicted. He thought a convenient better time would come and it won't. It won't come. He thought communicating about it would count because, you know, he kept bringing Paul in and they kept talking about it. If I keep talking about it, if I keep talking about it, that will make me a better person. That has nothing to do with it, right? 
No, you got to act on a conviction. Convenience will not come and communicating it over and over again doesn't count. What's the only thing that counts? You got to trust Jesus. You got to believe him. Isn't that what Jesus said? Those that do my father's will or my family. Those that hear me that obey me. Remember when Jesus standing there and said, look, your mama and your brothers. He said, no, my family are those who hear and obey. Hear and obey. What God puts in, they pour it out. So talking about it, Brother Shannon, don't count. You've got to what? Trust him and act on it. That's what James says. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a what? A doer, a doer. And then, I guess it appears as if he thought his conscience would clear. But you see, your conscience don't clear. Your conscience gets seared is what happens. And when it gets seared, it gets calloused. And when it gets calloused, it gets hard. You can't ever be exposed. None of us are ever exposed to the word of God without the word doing something to us. It either changes us or it makes us more callous to it. We become harder to it. And before long, it has no effect on me. Uh, my conscience doesn't clear on this. It just gets seared. It, it becomes calloused and hard. So I can't be short-sighted and ignorant to the things of God and how God works. Being ignorant of truth and short-sighted of this world will leave you a couple things. One, frustrated with the temporal, defeated in the supernatural, twisted about the future, and empty of God's peace, hope, gladness, grace, love, and faithfulness. So you can't, he was operating in short-sightedness, the temporal thing. And all it'll do is frustrate you, defeat you, twist you, and you'll walk away empty every time. So we got to act on it, amen? amen. Got to act on it. So these are just, there's so much more to this. I, we've taught on these things a bunch of times through the years. I've got a lot of notes that I've used through the years in teaching on some of this stuff, but I think that'll do for us tonight. What you think, Carolyn? Yes. Good deal, good deal. Anybody else before we go? Every day. Every day. Praise the Lord. So what God gives you, you want to what? Give it away, huh? You want to pour it out on Greg and on Janet and on Brandon and Boo and me. And Brother Shannon and Miss Pat and Stephanie and Danielle and those you work with, huh? Pour out what God puts in, huh? Yeah, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, huh? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for tonight, for this time that we can gather and lift up uh, needs, lift up people in need, lift up issues that need to be prayed over. And as you uh, reveal to us again tonight that we're to pray for all people and that we're to bring these needs before you. You got a work for us to do. Whether things go right or go wrong, we still have a work to do. For we only have one person that is able to save men, and we've got that message to bring to them, whether uh, it is valued and appreciated or whether it's rejected. And Lord, we want to go, and we want to reason, and dialogue, and communicate, and preach, and open our mouths, and open the word, so that we can reveal what is right and righteous, and what is patient and gentle and temperate, 
and having a grip on that righteousness and upon you. And I pray that you help us help others as we warn them that when they're not in the light, they're already under condemnation and there's no way to be made right apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us, help others. Send us out, compel us to go that we can give away what you've given us, that you can pour in to us that we can pour it out on others. So thank you. We bless you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Y'all have a good night.